The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Mary McKenna, your guest host in for Kelly Scanlon today. We have an interesting guest to join us. Uh, she is all about embracing failure. Cassandra Phillips is the founder of FailCon, an international series of conferences that explore common business failures, what causes them, and how we can avoid them, if at all possible. She's been featured on NPR, TEDx, The New York Times, and Forbes magazine discussing the value and importance failure plays in our lives. And we're finding out that it's just a hobby. Failure is her hobby. Welcome, Cassandra. Now, is it Cassandra, Cassie, Cass? I seem to go by Cass most often, but really whatever most easily comes off your tongue. So you started FailCon, and it's been around for seven years, six years? Six years, yep. Six years, starting out in San Francisco, and it has... Failure is so popular, it's it's now gone global. Mm-hmm. That's quite a bit, yeah. I think it's over 20 cities at this point. Over 20 cities. And when we say global, I'm talking Dubai and Barcelona. You're all over the world. If we're in, I think, four or five of the continents, we haven't hit Africa or Antarctica. Well, then you always have a goal to stretch for, right? That's exactly what it is, yeah. So is it coincidence that it started in Silicon Valley where the rewards are great, but then so is the rate of failure? Uh, it's hard to say. It certainly, looking with hindsight, doesn't feel like a coincidence, but at the time it just was the city I was living in. I think if I'd been living in a different city, it probably would have started there, or it may not have started at all. I was in an environment where failure was so common, and yet at the time, six years ago, uh, no one was talking about it. So you came to these community events and business And everyone came with a smile on their face, talking about how great business conversations were going, how awesome users were reacting, how fast their growth was. And as I talked to people more privately, no one was feeling this way. Everyone is terrified. They don't know what they're doing. They're still remembering the first bubble bursting just, I think, five or six years earlier. Um, And so it, it was just an area that felt right for needing to have these conversations much more transparently. So that's basically the story behind its creation as far as why maybe it started, but why did you decide to launch this into, well, it sounds like much more than a hobby, (laughs) but (laughs) how did it come into being? Yeah, it was actually, so I'd been doing business conferences for two, little over two years prior to this, uh, focused on the startup industry and especially on social networks and and the internet. Um, You have to remember that we started doing events in 2006, which was just two or three years after Facebook launched, wow. uh, and it was it had just opened Beyond Colleges. And then we started FailCon in 2008, or I started FailCon in 2008, and that was shortly after uh, Facebook had made the open app network and Facebook Connect and those sort of things. So it's still pretty young in social media. And so while I was doing events, I was starting a startup on the side, because everyone in San Francisco has a startup on the side that they're working on. <laughs> 
And I was attending my own conferences and listening to speakers talk about the tactics they'd used to succeed and how they had negotiated good business deals or how they had managed their finances successfully. And early in a business's lifespan, this just seemed very unattainable. They had experience and networks under their belt to do these things that I just didn't have. So they would talk about these successes, and I didn't even know how to get to step one, let alone step 10. At the same time, the entire audience at these events are talking about everything going really well, and I'm feeling really dejected and very alone in the struggle I'm feeling with my own startup and how hard it's been to understand what's going wrong when it's going wrong, and I don't know who I can talk to about what is going wrong. Our user tests are not showing good retention. We can't get people to come back to the app. People aren't understanding the purpose of it very well, and I don't understand what questions I should be asking to find the right answer um, or to understand what's going on. And I didn't know what audience to speak to. So I started casually speaking with friends at these conferences, people I did trust, to say, hey, what if speakers were required to talk about the failures early on in their business, the struggles that they felt, or when their assumptions were incorrect or their networks just couldn't help them? Because the idea is that a success is actually pretty much impossible to emulate. You don't have the marketing experience that person had. You don't have the history. You don't have the network. But a failure is pretty easy to emulate. You can do the exact same things, and you will probably get the failed result that they got as well. And so it is an, an easier learning experience. It's at least one path you can say, I don't need to take that path. Here's why, and here's the questions that this person is suggesting I ask to be able to learn the data I need to avoid it. Uh, that's pretty much where FailCon started. In the end, my startup still failed. I think we just caught on too late. The, the problems we had were, were very obvious in hindsight. Um, but FailCon kind of grew from that failure and a desire and need to talk about it and learn what went wrong and understand how to process the failure we had to essentially become more successful in the future. Uh, may I ask, what was your startup? You were uh, an unsuccessful uh, business yeah. owner yourself. You won't find it online anywhere. It was called Prager, kind of like Frogger, but with a T. Um, I still like the, the core of the idea, which, again, you have to remember Facebook Connect had just launched. And we were looking at online forums and message boards, and we noticed that your identity uh, in Facebook was so powerful. But when you went onto these forums, you were essentially a nobody. And even if you were a leader or a real uh, kind of professional in one forum, if you went into another one of the exact same topic, that reputation wouldn't come with you. So we were trying to make a, a software or a, a service that would allow forums to share reputation so you could understand who a person was, even if they were anonymous. You'd still know some of their history when they came in. The problem was, and this is a common problem I still see with startups today, is we designed a solution for something that wasn't really a problem. While we saw it as a problem, most people who use forums, the kind of people who opt into that, like that you have to prove yourself in their walled garden and their walled community. And they didn't see a need to have this reputation software. This is really obvious in hindsight that you should ask this question, but surprisingly, I still see a lot of startups get made that have a cool solution that when someone describes it to you, sounds really, really interesting, and then you realize that the, the challenge to just use it and the time it takes to implement it means the problem just wasn't big enough for the cost of the solution. Is it generational where you see people embracing failure being millennials or, or younger people where people uh, in their 50s, 60s, or older may not want to still come clean about what they did wrong? It's interesting. I, I do see a correlation with it being generational. Um, I don't see the youngest being the ones that want to admit their failure, and I think that's because they still feel a need to prove themselves. I see it more in people in their 30s and 40s. 
And I think the idea there is that they, they have proven themselves or they have decided that that's not what they wanted to do and they have moved on to something else. And so they're more mature and able to come to terms with just what went wrong. Um, but I wonder how much of that is also just the correlation of how many people are starting businesses, especially technology businesses. And so people who are much older, like in their 50s and 60s, just there aren't as many of them that have started those businesses that have a high risk and a high failure. Uh, not, not, not that they can't or they don't. There was just less opportunity to do it 40 years ago than there is today. And so less of them have. So it feels like they don't talk about it as much. Because I do find that when I find 60-year-olds who have started big businesses and failed at it and then started again, they also seem relatively comfortable to talk about it in America. I do see in other countries a struggle with uh, older people being able to admit failures, and I think a lot of that comes from the cultural limitation. Well, let's talk about that because you say, uh, again, you're in a number of different countries. You're just about everywhere on the globe. When did the other countries start jumping on board? Yeah, our first uh, country was Paris, and that was four years ago. We were then followed by uh, Brazil and Australia uh, in uh, three years ago. And about two years ago, it kind of just started really kicking off. Uh, and that's when we usually got about five to ten new countries a year. And some countries will do it once and realize their community's not ready for it, and they won't do it a second year. So we've, we've stayed stable at about 15, 15 to 20 countries a year. Um, with the first ones being France, Brazil, and Australia, I think that that was just kind of a coincidence that the right people were in those communities at the right time. Um, at, most of them were expats from America, so they were staying very aware of what was happening in Silicon Valley and so could bring the, the, the conference there at the right time. Now I think it does follow a little more the the way that startups and that, that industry is growing around the world. So Tel Aviv was recently added, and it's considered one of the hubs now of the startup scene. Um, Dubai is considered a big hub as well, Japan, Tokyo. Um, so I do feel like it's now starting to mirror the growth of the industry, but early on it felt like just a bit of a, a shot in the dark and a coincidence of who picked it up. And you've brought in some big names to talk about some big failures, including Mark Andreessen, the co-founder of Netscape, and Elon Musk. And I love his line, who uh, was very blunt and said, entrepreneurship is like eating glass and staring into the abyss of death. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Not sure yeah, it's quite yeah. that awful, but why are famous people like that so willing to share? Or do you think that it's kind of a pay-it-forward moment for them? It's actually interesting. I think that there's a range of opinion. We actually haven't gotten Elon Musk to speak at FailCon specifically um, because he, he is very actively opposed to the idea that failure helps your path to success. Um, and he, he writes about that online, which is really interesting. For that reason, I actually would like to get him to speak because I think he still recognizes the value of mistakes and of learning from them and just gives it a different language. That said, I think that there is, for those who are willing to speak about it, and as I said, Elon Musk is still very open about mistakes he's made, I think that there is a, a validation in not in avoiding hero worship. Um, I remember when Max Levchin, one of the founders of PayPal, came and people asked him about how he really isn't a failure. Why is he even at this conference? And he's like, sure, after 15 years, I look to you like I am not a failure. But I had to refinance my home. I almost lost it. I had four failed companies before PayPal. I declared bankruptcy twice. That's, if, if PayPal wasn't in this lineup, I would be the definition of a failure. In fact, I'd be the definition of someone who is a useless failure because I continue to fail over and over and over. And then I made PayPal. 
And so I think there's something to be said in these people who are very successful that, that nowadays the audience likes to say, well, it, it's just that he had the money to do it or he was lucky or, well, he's just always been successful. It, it's built on itself. And so at times these people want to take the stage or go to the press and say, no, success is really, really hard. And I had to fail repeatedly and take these risks and, and lose so much to be able to get where I am, and sort of remind people of the reality of the, the challenges that may be before them. Our guest today is Cassandra Phillips, the founder of FailCon, an international series of conferences exploring failure. And we'll continue our discussion about failure and the success of failure. We'll also find out about this interesting hobby that Cass has when she's not being successful with her failures, if I can say that. You're listening to Smart Companies Radio at blogtalkradio.com. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Dan Stahl. And this is Bill Brelsford. And we, we are, are the Sales, sales and Marketing, marketing Answer Men. Do you ever have a question about sales or marketing and you don't know where to go? Well, we're here to tell you where to go. In a good way, of course, for all your sales and marketing questions. Tune in Thursday mornings at 9 a.m. on Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Looking to establish your brand as an industry leader? Want to deliver helpful, relevant content to your niche audience? Look no further. Our staff at Custom Publishing can produce branded newsletters, magazines, podcasts, and so much more. We'll take you from concept to distribution or assist you with any stage in between. Writing, editing, design, audio production, voiceovers, digital, print. If you have a communication need, we have a solution. Call 913-831-8100. Call us today and discuss the possibilities. That's 913-831-8100 for all your custom publishing needs. Welcome back. I'm Mary McKenna, filling in for Kelly Scanlon today as host of Smart Companies Radio. And our guest is the founder of FailCon, Cass Phillips. And we are talking to her about the series of conferences held globally. In fact, the FailCon for 2014 has been put on hold. Am I correct? It has, yeah. We actually found that it's just, I, I didn't have a feeling that it was as necessary in Silicon Valley as it is in the rest of the world. So I wanted to focus on our global growth instead. And let's talk a little bit about that. You said, uh, you mentioned that Japan is one of the countries, one of the latest conference locations. Mm-hmm. I always felt that the people of Asia in Japan and in the Koreas, et cetera, the saving face is so vitally important. I wouldn't think that discussing failure openly would be something that the Japanese businessman or woman would embrace. That's very true. Earlier in this talk, you mentioned the, the generational changes of failure, and I, I mentioned that I think in the States it is not quite as prevalent. I will say in Japan, uh, I and the host there noticed it to be very much the case. Um, he had a very hard time finding experienced speakers in Japan who were willing to speak on their failures. Uh, quite a few of his speakers had to be, I don't know, quite a few, but three or four had to be flown in from the United States or were expats that had moved there. And I, I believe that does come, and I'm not Japanese, so I'm not sure, but I believe that does come from some of the, the heritage and just the deep familial and cultural history that comes with how closely your honor is tied to your family name and your personal accomplishments can, can hinder and harm that honor. And so I think that, that, that that's made it very challenging to get older members of the community to embrace this as easily. That said, I think with the just, just in general global expansion of ideas, with the Internet and kind of globalization of culture as a whole, for better or for worse, whatever you think of it, it's happening. And it's creating a young culture there that is much more open and interested in 
personal accomplishments, in risk-taking, in breaking away from the status quo and uh, attempting to start new things and kind of get recognized. So the conference itself still did very well. And as far as I know, they are planning a second one. I just reached out again for next year. But yes, the audience was predominantly young and many of the speakers were younger or were uh, expats or flown in, at least for that first one. Our hope is, of course, that by seeing the success it had and the positive press around it, you can start to shift the minds of some of the, the older generations so that they'll come to the next one and share their stories. Is there such a thing as preparing for failure? There's very much a way to prepare for failure. I actually just went to the third uh, Brazilian failcon in uh, Porto Alegre and, and gave a, a, an opening talk on preparing for failure. Um, I think that you will never prepare so much that you avoid it happening. It will always surprise you in the way that you did not prepare for but you can prepare for the inevitability that it will happen. You can set up personal preparations. Um, it's a 30-minute talk, so I won't go into thorough detail, but you can set up personal preparations with support structures outside of work and then outside of the home so that if one fails, you have a habit and a pattern that you can go back to to help yourself get back on your feet. You can also set up good communication channels with your teammates to make sure that weekly or monthly you're openly discussing what's going wrong, uh, how to handle it, how to measure it when it happens. That's a big thing that, that we do at, at my current company is whenever we're taking a large risk on something, mm -hmm. we actually ask what will failure look like, and we think about what the numbers will start to say, and then we ask, well, if that number happens, what could we do to fix it? And with every large risk, we'll end up with three to five pages of suggestions on what could go wrong, how we would be able to catch that early, what, what metrics we'd see change, and of the, what changes we could then make to help fix that. And that at least helps us prepare for the failures that may happen. I suppose that there are uh, fledgling entrepreneurs or people who have never even given a thought to running their own business or being an entrepreneur that believe that uh, being undercapitalized or not having enough money to start up the business in the first place would be one of the most common ways to fail at a business. But I'll bet you that there are others that are as common, if not more so. There most definitely are. I actually think being underfunded is one of the least, especially nowadays with the kind of business you may want to do. There's a lot of free or very cheap services online that you can at least get a prototype made with one or two people and start seeing if users engage with it. Um, so I actually think a lack of money is often an excuse if someone fails uh, rather than the actual cause. It can be an excuse for why you don't start, of course. But if you've started... Uh, there's usually some other things going on as well. The most common two I've seen, the first one is team, the people you start with. Too often a first-time company either starts with friends or it starts with two people who realize they have perfectly balancing skills. And they talk about their first year of development and they agree perfectly on how to build the prototype or what the early company will look like. And they decide that's perfect and they work together. Then what happens is one of them saw this being one kind of company in 10 years, and the other one saw a very different company 10 years down the line. And so around the first year is very similar to get to those end goals, but around the end of that year, things will change pretty drastically. And so teams having different values and different goals, different amount of dedication, is often the number one thing I see go wrong in startups, especially early on. The second one, as I mentioned earlier in, in our talk, is building a solution that you're very excited about, the people you talk to tell you it's a great solution, and then you realize it's, it's what we call more of a, a vitamin than a Band-Aid. It's, it's helping boost something a little bit rather than solving a real problem, and you're much more likely to succeed if you're really solving a problem than just building something that sounds cool. 
And so I actually see both of those often fail a company before they run out of money. As I said, not having money is certainly a challenge for actually starting. But if you've gotten enough to kick off the first six months, if you fail after six months, it's probably one of the first two before it was running out of funds. So the entrepreneurs at FailCon, how many failures have they chalked up? One, two, half dozen? That's actually a, a, an interesting question. I see. I, I don't even know if I can say there's an average. We have a number of people that are early founders, and so they're on their first company. We probably have a median around one where people have failed once, which is what helps them come to terms with the fact that they will fail. Often a first-time entrepreneur, when they're in their early 20s, say, of course I'm not going to fail. I know <laughs> how to do this. My idea is great. And I did the same thing. I mean, I had my startup and said the exact same thing. So often I'd probably say the median is they'd failed once and gone, oh, yeah, okay, that happened. I need to learn about this. And so they're on their second startup when they come to FailCon. That said, we still have people who are on a third or fourth startup, and sometimes they don't fail. They just don't exit as grandly as they wanted to. And so they're just interested in learning from others, well, how did you cope? How did you get bigger? Um, so usually it's anywhere from their first to their fourth with a, a median around their second. Fail hard, fail fast, and mm-hmm. then get on with it. Yep. And that's what you can do at FailCon. Now let's talk a little bit about this hobby. Well, obviously we've just addressed the hobby, but you have a full-time job. Tell us a little bit about that. I do. I'm actually a, a, a bit of a designer. I'm, I'm an interactive narrative designer for a mobile game company called Pocket Gems. We work on a tool called Episode. Um, and similar to We're Taking Risks, it's a, a very new experiment where it's a, a platform to tell animated interactive stories. Even if you know nothing about animation or coding, you just write a script and then it immediately goes into our application and people can play it right away. Um, it's more of a passion of mine. Storytelling has always been a passion of mine. I've seen conferences as a way to tell stories as a way to express the narrative of business. And so it was exciting, uh, after I'd been working on events for so long, to have an opportunity to start working on narrative, and especially narrative that empowers others to tell their story uh, and and share it with the world. These animated stories are uh, voiced by... Yeah, we actually don't do voices at the, at the moment because we find that when a computer voices it, it's actually worse than having no voices at all. <laughs> it removes, yeah, it removes the emotion from it, where if I just read it, I can put more emotion in. Moving forward for some of the hit stories, the stories that seem to kick off, we are going to look at uh, getting voice actors. We do have the technology to do it, to get voice actors to act them. But we've seen that, that at least for the, like as I mentioned earlier, the importance of having prototypes, for this kind of first and second version of it, it's catching on incredibly well, and people continue to read, and sound doesn't seem to have added or removed that much from it without having it there. You obviously are experiencing a huge success in failure. What's next? I think that in the failure front or in the fail-con front, hopefully it's not a failure, definitely, um, <laughs> I'm not as concerned about the conference going incredibly global, but I want to make sure that people that want to pick it up can do it easily without too many blockers, and essentially that they can have success with the conference on their own. It is a licensed conference, so if anyone listening wants to bring it to their city, even in America, we do have two or three events going on in America where people just licensed it to bring to their city. And so what I'd like to see happen, and my kind of goals for it, are to give it a life of its own and make it very simple for people to just get the materials that we have, get a calendar, sign up, and just start producing one so that if it's destined to grow, I'm not stopping it from its growth. So my, my work over this last summer and over the next year is just to continue iterating with the experienced hosts that I've been working with to ask what would help them be faster, what would, help them, what would have helped them kick it off uh, more smoothly, and making sure those tools are in place 
so that I can step away even more and focus on what I love, which is narrative and storytelling and story and culture, and still allow FailCon to kind of live on in however it may without me. And if that means that it never gets beyond 20 cities a year, I'm honestly okay with that. If it's just the people doing those events are having a good time and are help spreading the message, if it drops down to 10, I'm okay with that. And if it goes up to 50, that's obviously wonderful, uh, and I'd be totally happy to see that happen. You've never considered or you don't make it available via webinars? I have not. I am not opposed to the idea. It's more, as I said earlier, I'm not in, I'm not in love with the production and management of events. And so with webinars, the idea of kind of organizing the tech around it and, and having it work out, uh, having to promote it, um, has just been something that hasn't interested me. And it's actually an interesting thing that I think, uh, in general, listeners can be aware of, is to, to make sure you're aware of what you love. We have a great talk that is up online from last year's FailCon of a founder whose startup was actually doing pretty well. It wasn't excellent, but it was good, and it had been good for three years, and then he shut it down. And early in the story, the audience actually was like, why would you do that? You have a startup that's actually making money. That's incredible. And he's like, yeah, but it wasn't, I, I learned it wasn't what I loved doing. And so I think I just learned that I don't love doing uh, webinars and organizing the tech and promoting and sales. Um, so it's more like, hey, if someone else was doing webinars on failure, I'd gladly guest speak. Or if one of the other hosts wants to do it, I definitely would help them look for the tools they might want. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to stop them from doing it. But it's not quite my passion to do the specific webinars themselves anymore. If someone wants to get a hold of you to follow you uh, and your adventures regarding your narrative story and your work with Pocket Gems and FailCon, tell us how to do all that. Sure. So you can follow me on Twitter where I am somewhat active but not as active as I used to be. I'm Web Wallflower. I'm essentially a wallflower on the web, so Web Wallflower. Even easier is just to send me an email. It's my first name, Cass, C-A-S-S, at thefailcon.com. We failed to get the actual URL we wanted, and then we ended up not really needing it. So just emailing me, cast at thefailcon.com, and I usually can respond within a week to email inquiries we get. There is also just a simple form on our website, thefailcon.com, that you can fill out if you're interested in hosting an event, and then me or one of my teammates will reach out and tell you how to get started. It's good to know that failures can be successful and enlightening as well, and we appreciate your time. You've been a wonderful guest. Thank you so much. Of course. Happy to be here. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website, ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at ithinkbigger. I'm Mary McKenna. Kelly Scanlon, your regular host, will be back next week. Have a great weekend. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.